The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Today, I want to talk about something called dangerous faith. You know, you have the faith of Jesus on the inside of you. You have dead, raising faith on the inside of you. Romans 12, verse 3 says, you have the measure of faith. What kind of measure of faith do you have? Come on, this is a rhetorical question. What, what kind of measure of faith do you have? The measure you know, this is really important to understand because sometimes we see people that may be up on a, on, a, on a platform or have done some exploits or something for the Lord, and we think, well, they, that's, a, that's a different breed of Christian. Really? I, I need to understand this different breed of Christian. Because, you know, according to the Word of God, it says that we have like precious faith. That means the same faith as Jesus. Let me ask you this, ladies. How many of you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Okay, if you haven't, we can fix that at the end, okay? So now you've received Jesus, there is one part of you that completely became brand new, completely changed. The minute you got born again, I could get people up here talking about how they got born again, how they received the Lord, and we could have, we could have a whole, all different, uh, uh, different stories from different places. Some, bits of some people, um, some, it was a friend that told them, or it was a mother that told them, or someone took them into church, or God divinely intervened in their life, or they heard a message, or they watched a television program. But any way that that happened, the result is still the same. The minute you receive Jesus, Jesus came to live on the inside of you. Now, sometimes we can go through life, and we cannot place enough value on the part that, that of, of us that changed in that moment that, when it happened. That moment we received Jesus. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, All things have passed away. Behold, all things, say all things, things. not some things. See, sometimes we look at our life and we think, well, we see some some growth in some areas and some weaknesses in some areas, okay? And we start to measure ourselves up according to the patterns and 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 the inclinations in the world. But God says, all things became new. Old things passed away. All things become new. So how can this be? Have you ever wondered this? How can this be that all things become new when I still look like Carly? Right? If you're fat before you get saved, you're going to be fat after you get saved. Right? If you're stupid before you got saved, you're going to be stupid after you get saved. Right? You're still going to be the same person. Amen? And the, the reason for this is it's the spirit part of you that become alive. When you receive Jesus, now you have superpowers. Come on, right? Come on now, all right? No capes, darling, though, because they get caught in the things, right? Okay, but here's, here's the deal. We, we now have abilities that we didn't have before we got saved. In Galatians, it talks about it this way, that we have a new nature. We have the nature of God that came to live on the inside of us, the nature of God. And in that nature, we have all of the fruits of Spirit. All of the fruits of the Spirit now live on the, on, in the person Jesus on the inside of us. The Spirit part of us that was dead has now become alive. Now this means, I wonder how many of you know some of the fruits of the Spirit? Shout them out. You know what the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, temperance, self-control, right? All of those things. So regardless of how we feel, we do have self-control. Come on now, right? We do have patience. We do have kindness. We do have love. We do have joy. We do have peace. When we walk around, we have all of those things on the inside of us. We have abilities to operate in every one of those things at all times. I don't know about you, though. Sometimes I don't choose to. Sometimes I have a fit of carnality. Is anyone with me on that? right? I'm sure you're so spiritual, you just wake up in the morning, you know, you're all done up and, you know, you're looking lovely. But every now and again, I just, I just don't look like the righteousness of God in Christ, right? Especially like me and Heather, we were getting ready this morning. We're like, we did not look like the righteousness of God in Christ, did we? But praise Jesus, on the inside, nothing's changed. 
Amen. God is still good. All of these things are still true, even if our flesh takes a while to catch up with it, right? But here we're looking at who we are in the Spirit. And this is really important because faith is a powerful force, but it doesn't operate in the, in the fleshly realm, right? If we want to be, who wants to be a woman of faith and power? Okay. Well, here's the fact. You are a woman of faith and power. You haven't got to try and be something that you're not. We aren't fake, right? We are real. And as a, as a part of born-again believers, I said this before, there, there's, there's no super-dupers in the Christian world. There's just people that have faith and that have faith and use it. Okay? We all have the faith of, of Jesus. We all have the same measure, the same measure of faith that Jesus has because we have the Jesus kind. If, let, let's look at this logically. If we're carrying around Jesus on the inside of us, which we all are if we're born again, we don't just step outside of Jesus. Like, oops, I just left. What, where did I, like you've left your purse. I think I forgot. Hang on, got to go back. I forgot Jesus. Left him in the house. Okay? No, wherever we are, Jesus is with us. Amen? That means at all times, in all circumstances, we have the, the power of the kingdom of God living on the inside of us. And it's not changed by our circumstances. Think about that. It doesn't matter what storms in life come our way, we are still called to be victorious. That's not changed. You know, the circumstances aren't changed, don't change the Word of God. The Word of God is the Word of God. Whether we like it or not, whether we feel good about it or not, whether we agree with it or not, this, the Word of God is not going to change because you don't like something in it. Right? And that's good news because our emotions sound. They're not? Right? Some of us are a little bit more level than others, but some of us are a little bit more excitable than others or whatever, but they go up and down. And emotions are great. But like Pastor Tafara was saying last, last night, sometimes they lie to us, right? They're good. You know, love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness. I mean, they're flowing through us all the time, right? But sometimes we come a little bit out of balance to the point where we are being led by our emotions, and if we are so used to being led by our emotions, we are going to struggle when it comes to faith. You know, Romans 8 verse 6 puts it this way. It says, to be carnally minded is death. How many people here want death? Any takers? That usually goes off about like that, okay? But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How many want to see some life and peace? Come on now, Right? So if we want to be people that are flowing in the power of God and operating in this force called faith that lives on the inside of us, which we are fully capable of because we have the measure of, of Jesus kind of faith on the inside of us, it means we need to stop being people that live out of our emotions, right? We need to be, we need to be women and men that are grounded, so grounded in the Word of God, no matter what the storm comes, we're going to stand on the Word, Amen. If we want the Word of God results, we've got to know what the Word of God says, and we've got to speak the Word of God. Amen? Let's look at this. I want to look at this in um, Revelations 12, verse 7. Revelation. Sometimes it's good to start. Does anyone ever do that? You're reading a book, and then you can't wait to find out what happens, so you read the end first. Okay? It's good. We win. I've read the end of the book, and we win. Amen? It's all good. So Revelations 12, verse 7. It says, Then a war broke out in heaven... And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. So they did not prevail. It says, nor was there a place for them in heaven any longer. The great dragon was cast out, the, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So he deceives the world. That's who he is. He's just a liar. He's just the, he's just the original loser. Right? He's the world's biggest loser. That's who he is. That's, right. That's the only crown he gets, okay? He says, He was cast down to earth, and his angels were cast down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. That's good news. For the accuser of our brothers who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. See, Satan's nothing more than an accuser and a deceiver. And what he's doing here in, in, this, in this book of Revelation, he's been doing since the beginning of time, way back in the garden. He's just a liar and a deceiver and an accuser. But look at this. 
Verse 11, I love this. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You know, you want to know how to defeat the devil? We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. In other words, by what Jesus has done for us and by what we are prepared to say about what Jesus has done for us. Amen? That's how we defeat the devil. He's a deceiver. You know, he's, he's always been a deceiver and he's always been an accuser. But at the end of the day, he's a loser. He's, a, he's the original loser. The devil's only weapon, his only weapon is deception. But what he comes to do in our life is get us so distracted that we will not realize who it is that lives on the inside of us. You see, if we, could, if we spent the rest of our day just focusing on what God has deposited in us in Christ Jesus, I tell you, there'll be no demon in hell that could ever come into our airspace, yep. right? You know, Philemon 1, six puts it this way. He says that, that, that your faith becomes effective. Who wants effective faith? Yep. This is it. By the acknowledgement of every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. That's, that's giving thanks. Acknowledgement is giving thanks. When we start giving thanks to God for all of the good things that he's put on the inside of us, our faith is released. Our faith, which overcomes the world, by the way. The devil doesn't, you know what? He's terrified of your faith. He's terrified of you. He's not, he didn't have enough power to stop you from, from getting born again. If he did, he would have done so. But what he's, what he's, his only trick he has now is lies and deception and accusation. You see, he needs your buy-in to have any power or any authority in your life at all. At all. He's just, he's just so weak and so defeated and such a non-issue that we, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad that we even have to mention it, really. Honestly, if, if as believers we understood what God had deposited on the inside of us, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. It's a done deal, right? But what he does is he comes to accuse you. He comes to, to lie to you, and he's just hoping that you're going to take the bait, right? So how does he do that? Well, he does that through the thoughts and intents of our heart and our mind. Distractions. He starts to whisper things in your ear, just like he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did God really say? You can't, you can't do that. If you do that, you're going to die. If you do that, you're missing something. He lied to Eve in the garden. He says, if you eat this apple, you'll become like God. She was already like God. See, this is the problem sometimes. We start to live in the realm of performance. If only I can be good enough. If I can look pretty enough. If I can be churchy enough. If I can be a good enough Christian, right? If I can enunciate well enough. If I could be smart enough. If I could be a good enough a wife. If I could be a good enough mother, okay? If, I, if, if only my children were better behaved. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, I asked the Lord about this once. He said, I don't worry. I raised my kids in paradise and they still rebelled. Oh. Right? But we start, to look, we start to compare our performance among the people around us. And when we do that, we are buying into the lies of the enemy. We do not have to compare ourselves to anybody else. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. It says those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise, right? There is only one person that you need to, 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 to look to for your approval, and that's Jesus. Amen? Amen? But so many of us are addicted to the approval of others. We have approval addiction, Right? We're constantly trying to please our parents. We're constantly trying to please our, even our pastor, right? We're constantly trying to please our family, our spouse, our employer. Now, we don't go out the way to, to, to make enemies with people, but there's a balance here. We need to stop needing that approval. That approval is addictive, and it means that we are buying into the lies of the enemy to form our identity. And the devil needs us. This is the truth. He needs us to do that in order to have any influence in our life at all, any influence at all, because he's a deceiver and he's a liar and he actually has zero power. He has zero power. And so when we, when we, when we get into that, we'll, what we'll find is that we won't operate in the spiritual force called faith because we'll be so wrapped up in the world 
You know, faith in itself, it says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It operates in an unseen realm. See, there's some things about faith we need to understand. It's a powerful force that overcomes the world. Let's look at this. This is in, um, do we have scripture people? Oh my goodness, you scripture people are good. Got back there. Can you put up First uh, John four seventeen for me? Let's see if this. Man, I don't know. I think my clicker must be. Oh, there it is. Right. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we. Where? Can you see that? Look, in this world. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to be like Jesus, right? We are made in his very image. We have the DNA of God on the inside of us, amen? In this world, as he is, so are we in this world. Well, what part of us is like Jesus in this world? It's not the flesh part. It's the spirit part of us. Because he's given us his power and his authority. He's given us his name. Now, this is crucial. If we don't understand what we have, we're never going to use it, right? If we don't understand what, what we have deposited on the inside of us, we're never going to use it. You know, one, one time my husband, he tried to show me, we lived on a farm, and he tried to show me if the truck, um, it was out on the, on the backside of nowhere, and he, we had this truck, and occasionally the truck didn't start, right? The battery went flat or whatever. So he comes out one day, and he says, now these are jumper cables, I don't know what he was going to do with that, these, these things on wires. And he says, I'm going to show you. And he popped open the, 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 the top of the truck there. And he says, now, there's a battery in the truck. And you have to attach this crampy thing to this knob over here and this crampy thing to this over here. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't need to know this. He goes, no, 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 you need to know this. You need to know this so when the truck doesn't work, you know how to start it. I said, honey, I have you. <laughs> Praise Jesus. My husband looks after me very well. Amen. But, it, but he had a point. You see, if we, we, it doesn't matter how nice the jumper cables are. It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how shiny the toolkit is, right? You can give me the most expensive toolkit that all the money can buy. They could be made of pure gold. I'd probably wear them like jewelry, okay? I'm not going to use the tools. The shelves are not going to get put up. It's not going to happen. Why? Because I don't know how to use them. If we don't know what we have and we don't know how to use them, we are never going to use them. And you know, faith and authority are the same. If we don't know what we have in Christ, we aren't going to walk in the fullness of everything that Jesus paid for. You know, John 10.10 puts it this way. It says, the enemy, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus, he comes to give us life and life more abundantly. You know, so many of us would like to just have an abundant life. Amen? But there's more. He wants us to have life more abundantly. That's better than you could even ask, think, or ever imagine. Better. Better than you think, right? Some of us need to expand. You know, we were talking about, Pastor Chipo was talking about this yesterday. We need to dare to believe. Dare to dream. It doesn't matter where we've come from. It matters where we're going to, right? We are going to. We are walking into victory. But that we can't do that until we start to change the picture of us on the inside of us. Does that make sense? Let's look at this. Let's go over to, um, I'm going to turn here to, to 1 John again. Such a lot of uh, wisdom and revelation in the scripture. Look at this, 1 John 5. 1 John 5. For this is the love of God, and this is in verse uh, 4 actually. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Is, anyone, is there any exceptions in here? I don't know. It just said, who is a whoever? Do I have any whoever's in here? Come on now, right? If you've received Jesus, you qualify. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a world overcomer. You might not look like a world overcomer, right? You certainly might not feel like a world overcomer, okay? You may have just dragged yourself here. You may be barely breathing, Okay, but the fact is, the word of God's not changed by your feelings. The word of God doesn't care about your feelings. It's not going to change. It is no respecter of persons, right? 
It's operating in a realm outside of our five senses. And while that might sound shocking, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. He cares enough about you to give you something that goes beyond the limitations of your own emotions. This is huge, right? Because it's unchanging. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who in here believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, Then you are a world overcomer. You are a world overcomer. That means no challenge, no giant, no storm, no no lack, no sickness can overcome you and win. Nothing. If he's in this world, it cannot overpower you. Until we start to see that on the inside, though, we aren't going to see that on the outside. This is a problem. This is a disconnect. And I think this is one of the reasons why there are many believers today that are struggling to walk in the fullness of everything Jesus paid for. We have a faith that is so powerful, that is so tangible, that is so real that the enemy is terrified of it. We have the kind of faith, and he's, he's so scared, he couldn't stop you getting born again. But oh my goodness, if they would just take the word of God and believe it, and then goodness no, speak it, he'd be in trouble. And that's why he'll do anything he can to distract you from your relationship with the Lord. Anything at all. And those distractions can come in, in many different shapes and sizes, right? I'm a, I'm a busy person. I have three kids, four if you include my husband. He's the biggest child. And then, you know, I work a full-time job. I, I've been on 60 airplanes, 63 airplanes this year. That means I get on a plane about every six days. Okay? It's busy. Life is busy. It's just busy. It's, I don't have time to sin, okay? <laughs> I have laundry to do, right? I have groceries to buy. I have kids to feed, okay? I have dinner to cook, okay? I mean, never mind going out partying all the time. I want to go to bed at 9 o'clock, amen? <laughs> but, you know, even, even, even in doing good things, those things can be a distraction. I had a conversation with my son recently. And uh, he's just on fire for the Lord. He wants to go to Bible college. He wants to be a worship leader. He just, he's, this, is, this kind of kid loves church. He just thinks, like, the sun shines out Pastor Tafara's rear end. I mean, he, he loves pastors. He, do, he just does, right? He, he just, he's, just, he's just that kind of kid. But one of the challenges that he has, because he, he's, he's just, he, just loves, he, just, he just loves everyone, he's, he wants to pastor everybody. He's, he's 18. Right? <laughs> Pastor, she, she probably thinks that's really funny. She's still getting over it. Okay? <laughs> you know, but one of the challenges he has is saying no to people sometimes. Yeah? And it's not deciding between what is sin and what is, what is good. That's easy. The biggest challenge that I think we, we struggle with is what is good and what is God. What is good and what is God. Even in church, how many people in ministry are in here today? How many ministers do I have in here? Pastors, right? Okay. And if we aren't careful, we can spend so much time running around chasing after need that we get so distracted that we get burnt out. We get so distracted. We become become weary in doing good. The scripture says, do not become weary in doing good. It's the doing good that makes us weary. You see that? And it's subtle. See, the devil's cunning. He's cunning. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser. He'll tempt you with all these good, busy things to get you distracted. Because if he can get you distracted, the joy of the Lord ceases to become your strength. And then you become weak. And then you're susceptible to sickness, to disease, to to injury, to poverty. You're susceptible to the lies. And it's just like opening the door a crack with distraction. And then the enemy comes in like a flood. But it starts because we aren't discerning what is good and what is God and when to say no. This is, this is really important. I've seen too many people taken down because they don't know how to say no. It's a powerful... So let's practice it right now. No. Okay? See? You can say no. I've given you permission. Amen? You're empowered women of God. What did you learn today, Designer Life? No! <laughs> Your husbands will be like, we aren't letting you go there again. <laughs> right? 
But it's true, because if we can't say no to the little things, how are we going to resist the devil and the big things? Right? We, there is a power in saying no to things, in learning to understand what is good and what is God. And hang on a sec, that's good, but that's a distraction. God has designed me for a purpose. He's given me a purpose. He's given me an assignment. And when we bring those things, okay, do they match up? Are they going in the direction of, the pur- of, of, of purpose? Or are they just a distraction? Are they good, but they're not for now? What is it? You know, when we, when we can learn to do that, we'll actually find ourselves more, more focused in our life. We'll be, be happier, healthier, more centered, and we'll have our relationship with God first place. Not just a tag on that we do on a Sunday. And this is really important because we're talking about a dangerous kind of faith that the devil is so terrified of, he'll do anything he can to distract you, even with good, even with good. He's terrified of you. When you wake up in the morning, he's like, oh, no, they're awake. (laughs) It's true. He's absolutely terrified of you. He has zero power. He needs needs you to cooperate with him in order to have any impact in our life because he sees us and he sees us in in our potential. He's like, I, but he's, he's not smart. The devil's not smart. He's dumb. That's why he keeps coming up with the same old lies. Yeah. He can't create anything, yeah. right? He's the original recycler. Before recycling was cool, he was into recycling. <laughs> he rehashes old things. There's nothing new under the sun, yeah. okay? He doesn't, he doesn't create anything, doesn't come up with anything new. But he's been around people a long time. He's been around people enough to spot potential in them. When he sees you, he knows what you're capable of. The problem is, we don't always know what we're capable of. See, when we start to read the Word, when we start to identify with what God says about us, when we start to give thanks for every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus, oh my goodness, the devil starts to run away scared. He knows his days are numbered. Look at this. Look at this. We're going to go here in in, in Mark chapter, let's go Mark chapter 5. Now, Mark chapter 5 is one of my... Favorite chapters in the Bible, and you could preach on this chapter for days, but we won't because we have lunch, okay? <laughs> but this is, this is important. Mark chapter 5 verse, um, what do I want to pull out of here? Mark chapter 5. You know, demons were afraid of Jesus. Demons were afraid of Jesus. We're going to read here about the healing of the demoniac man. Now, this is a chapter that everyone reads a whole lot, okay? But there are some things in here I want us to understand. That, de- that, that when we start to understand our identity, we start to walk in authority, we change the atmosphere. When we walk into a room, the atmosphere begins to change. Think about this. If, if a, a royalty, a king or a queen that we recognize, walked in the door, or even a famous person, for goodness sake, they walk in the door, people are like, oh, look, just who's over there? Oh, just, oh. They start to move aside. They start to let them through. They start to really sneak, do the sneaky, do the, the sneaky selfie, you know. They're trying to, get themselves, <laughs> trying to get themselves in. Right? How many people have tried to sneaky selfie you? <laughs> right? I'm just saying, we behave differently when a person of authority walks in the room, don't we? Yeah. Right? If a policeman was to walk in the room, we'd be like, okay, which one of you is your, which one of you, who, what's, what's going on? Oh, come on, who is it? Right? <laughs> when a person of authority walks in the room, people identify them as such. They recognize the authority that that person carries. Yeah? And they start to behave differently. And this is what was happening when these, um, the demoniac man saw Jesus. So in Mark chapter 1, Start at the beginning. It says, he went, they went to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes. And when he came out of the bar, immediately a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. And he lived among the tombs and no one could constrain him, nor even with chains, because he had so often been bound with shackles and chains. This was so common to him. This was his life. Living in misery and living in bondage was his life. I think there are many of us today that live in similar situations. Maybe they're not with physical chains. But we have mental chains. We have the chains that keeps us in economy rather than first class. Right? By the way, I'm believing for first class. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? All right? 
We, 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 we live way below the level which Jesus paid for for us because we have some stinking thinking going on. We have some mental, mental shackles. But he, but he had pulled the chains apart, broken the shackles to pieces, and no one could subdue him. Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. He was inflicting pain, hurting himself. He was separated from his family. He was isolated. He was terrified. Because you know what? All the devil has is fear. All he has is fear. Because that's why it says in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. All the devil has is fear. That's the only weapon he can come with you at. And because, and, and this makes sense really, that's why he's so afraid of you. Because all he has is fear. It's who he is. Fear is who he is. That's why the devil is permanently tormented by you. He's tormented by you. If only we could see him for who he really is. This, and and, the, and when, when the enemy is working on a person's life, he will, uh, he will do the, the very best to isolate that person from the crowd, yeah. to keep you home from church, yeah. okay? To keep you away from your life group, from people that can encourage you, to isolate you from your friend groups. If you've ever been in a really controlling relationship, you'll know it's not good because there's always fear, there's always torment, there's always a hidden agenda, there's always isolation, there's always separation. There's always bondage in those controlling, manipulative, tormentive, demonic relationships, right? That's, that's his MO. But look at what happened when he met Jesus. The, he reckoned, the, the, he, even though he was completely demon-possessed, his guy's in a bad state, he could see the authority in Jesus. This is powerful. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran up and kneeled before him and cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. See, we just read in Revelations that Satan, he was being tormented. He was being tormented, right? And so he, this is, the, this is what, what he comes out of his mouth. Do not torment me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And they have this conversation. He says his name's Legion. And so Jesus, um, he begs, they, the, the, the um, demons beg Jesus repeatedly not to send him out of the, in, into the country, um, but into, um, send us into the swine so that we may, na- may enter them. Now, even pigs, which aren't the smartest creatures, okay, you know, you can take a pig and give it a nice bath and make it look really pretty and put a bow on it. But if you're not watching that pig, you know what it's going to do? It's going to find a patch of mud and it's going to be straight back in it. It won't appreciate what you've just done for it. It doesn't appreciate the mani-pedi that we've just had, okay? It, because in its nature, it wants to go roll in the mud. And some of us sometimes act like pigs, right? We, 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 we've been brought out of darkness in the kingdom of darkness, and, we've been pre- and we now are in the kingdom of the son of his love. Amen? We've been given power. We've been given authority. We've been given the name, salvation, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of us, but we still want to gravitate to the, to the, to the muddy pool over here. Right? But look, even, even these pigs, they were smart enough to know they didn't want to live with the power of the enemy. They committed the first piggicide in the Bible. Right? Even the pigs were smart enough. We don't, want to, we don't want anything to do with those demonic things. Thank you very much. We'd rather not be here. They, didn't, they refused to live in torment. They refused to live in fear. They refused to live under the power of the enemy. They said, we would rather die. We'd rather run headfirst into the lake, right? We need to have that same tenacity, that pig tenacity, okay? How much better than pigs are we, okay? Come on, no matter how messy you are, right? <laughs> Amen. And, and you know what happened? The people around them, they were, they were, they, the fear of God came on them because they saw this man operates in such authority that even the powers of darkness are terrified of him. The people had a fear of God. It says, it says here in verse 15, they came to Jesus who had been, and saw him who had been possessed with the legion of demons sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. They had a godly fear, and they should have been. Because when we recognize the power of God that we have on the inside of it, it's watch out, world. Amen. I pity you, devil. Yeah. You're, gonna, I'm gonna make you a re, you're gonna regret ever messing with me, yeah. right? Yeah. You've messed with the wrong girl. Yeah. You've messed with the wrong family. Yeah. Oh, you clearly don't know who I am. Let me just remind you about the end of the book. We win. Yeah. 
right? I said we win, amen, right? And it doesn't matter how big the problem is. It doesn't matter how long it's been around. It doesn't matter how bad it smells. It doesn't matter if everyone else agrees with it, right? It's not who you are. You know, your future is not determined by your past mistakes. We need to let go of those things which are behind. Paul puts it this way, forgetting, forgetting those things which lay behind. I press on towards the upward calling and to lay a hold and grasp and make mine own that for which Christ has made, uh, grabbed a hold of me. Man, you know, you, the thing is we can't grab on to everything that Jesus has for us if we're holding on to the past. You've got to let go of one rope to catch the next, Right? You've got to let go of the, of the, of the, the if you're swinging in the trees, like, like Tarzan. I remember watching Tarzan when I was little. And he'd swing through the trees, right? One rope to the next rope to the next rope, you know, till he got the girl. You know? There's a whole other message in that, ladies. There's a whole other message in that. All right? You need to look for your Boaz and not settle for lazy ass, but that's a whole other message. Come on. Right? <laughs> No, not lazy as, not dumb as, right? I mean, I'm just saying. Not poor as. Anyway. You wait for your Boaz. But you listen, you've got to let go of one rope. <laughs> I've lost some of you, I can tell. Really back in. Come stay with me here, right? We have to let go of one rope to grab the next. And we can't do that if we're always looking backwards. We're going to miss the opportunity in front of us. We're going to miss it. One of the characteristics of faith is it plans for the future. It plans for the future. You know, it says this in Hebrews, but it's talking about Abraham and Sarah. It says Abraham and Sarah were taken out of one land and sent to another land, okay, in order to prosper and grow. You know, and Pastor Chipo was talking about this, how Abraham had to go outside of his tent, outside of his constrictions, to look up and get a picture of what God had for him. He had, to leave, he had to literally leave what he was used to to move to another place in order for God to expand his vision. But, you know, it, say, it says in Hebrews that if they had considered the land from which they had come, they would have the, had the opportunity to return to it. Like the pigs going back into the muddy pool, right? We need to change our thinking. You see, faith operates in, in the unseen realm and it plans for the future. It plans for the future. Your future is so bright, we've got to squint to look at it right? We've got to squint to look at it. It plans, it plans for the future. And so we need, we need to look at some of these things here. You know, this man, he was delivered of this um, oppression, and then God put him back. He put him back. He said, go back, go home to your family and friends and tell them not what great things the Lord has done for you. You know, there's such a power in thanksgiving. There's such a power in thanksgiving, that we need, to, we need to be people that are, that are thankful, amen? We need to be people that rejoice. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he inspires me. He was a man, he was always in trouble. He was always in trouble. He had, he had so many persecuted, so well, I think, honestly, he persecuted so many people. There was kind of a little bit of a you reap what you sow here. But the persecutions were coming back, right? He was either being beaten or shipwrecked or, I don't know, sawn in half or whatever. I don't know. No, probably not that one because that would be awkward. But, um, but, you know, then he calls these things... These are just light afflictions. A day in the night in the open sea, beaten with whips, beaten with chains, hungry, thirsty, naked, cold. You know, I've learned to abase and be abound. You know, these are just light, what, these are just light afflictions. I'd hate to see what a bad day was. Yeah. Right? I mean, seriously. You know, he says he rejoices in all things. He's the one who in Philippians says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Man, that guy had learned the secret of, of not having his happiness in somebody else's head. Of not having his happiness in a situation or a circumstance, right? Not having his happiness in something that was earthly, that was temporary, but having his happiness and his security in things that were eternal. Man, we can learn so much from that. Okay, I want to look at something. The devil, we, we know he's been defeated. Can you put up Colossians 2 verse 15 for me? Colossians 2, verse 15. All right, this is what Jesus did for us. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You know, the devil wants to, uh, the, wants to, wants to contain you. He wants to constrain you. He wants to get you so distracted that you don't even know what the word says. 
Because he, he doesn't want you to know that he's a loser, okay? He doesn't want to read his own press. <laughs> That's the truth. But, but the fact is, Jesus has already disarmed him. He's disarmed him. Can you imagine that? He's, he's completely been defeated. He's totally been defeated. He says, having disarmed principalities and powers, and not, not only that, he made a, a such, he embarrassed them so badly, right? He made a public spectacle of the powers of darkness. You know, I don't think it took Jesus three days to defeat the devil when he went, when he went down to hell and, and stole the keys. I think it took him, you know, a couple of seconds. And then he just sat there with his feet up, toasting marshmallows or something. Right? Making s'mores as they do in America. Right? He may, he may, and that's the same power now that lives on the inside of us. We have a dangerous kind of faith. And it becomes really dangerous when we start to use it. When we start to use it. Look at this in uh, Mark chapter 5. We're going to go back there. Just, um, just a little bit further on in the chapter. We're going to go down here to verse 24. Verse 25, sorry. Verse 25. And a certain woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. That's a long time. That's a long time to be sick. You know, when you've been sick for a long time, it's not the same as having a headache for five minutes. Start to get in your mind. Start to get in your thinking. Start to change how you see yourself. It starts to plan your day. It starts to mess with your emotions. It certainly starts to mess with your finances. It starts to mess with your relationships. It tells you if you can eat, what you can eat, if you can work, where you can work, how you can live. It starts to isolate you. It becomes part of you. A chronic sickness does this. And you know why it does this? It's because it's from the devil. And it bears his hallmarks. Sickness is by nature self-centered. It's not, that, not that necessarily the person is self-centered, but it, it wants to draw all of the time, all of the attention to itself. Like a toddler having a tantrum. Yeah. Hangry toddler. A toddler that's hungry and angry. It's not good, right? Hungry and tired makes them hangry. Hungry, tired toddlers are hangry toddlers or hangry husbands, whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> That's why we have to have snacks in our purse. Come on. Okay, honey, it's time for a snack now, right? But this, but this is what sickness will do. This is what, if you're stuck in a situation where if you have lived way below the life that Jesus has for you for so long, way below his level of abundance that he has for you, it'll become so normal. You'll be so used to being killed, stolen from, attacked, destroyed, that you start to settle for it, right? Because you're just trying to survive. And it's really hard when you're in that mindset to see beyond to the type of life that God has for you all along. We have to change our thinking. Look at this woman. She'd been sick for 12 years. She'd suffered much under many physicians. She'd spent all that she had, all of her money. But she was not better, but rather grew worse. She'd done everything that she knew how to do to fix the problem in the natural. Everything, okay? When she, look at this, verse 27. When she had heard, underline the word heard in, the, in your scripture there, okay? When she had heard of Jesus... She came in the crowd behind him and touched his garment. Underline the word came. She heard, she came. For she said, underline the word said, she heard, she came, she said, that if I may touch his garments, I shall be healed. And immediately her hemorrhage dried up and she felt, underline felt, in her body. And she would healed of her affliction. She heard, she came, she said, she felt. She didn't feel first. This is really important that we get this, okay? Because oftentimes we miss out on what God is doing because faith doesn't operate in a feeling realm. We can't look for a feeling to determine whether the power of God is moving, right? We can't look for a feeling to determine whether God is speaking, whether there's anointing there. Now, a feeling is the very last thing we experience. She heard, she came, she said, she felt. Amen? This is important. And once Jesus knew within him that, that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And he said to his disciples, you see, who touched me? There's a big crowd. And they're like, this is woman came, right? And she said, she came and fell down before him and told the entire truth. And he said to her, I mean, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, there's a number of things in here that I want to point out. We're talking about having a dangerous faith. 
This woman had a dangerous faith. You see, she had a kind of faith that when she heard about Jesus, faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? If the church that you go to doesn't spark faith in you, then you're probably not hearing the gospel, right? Because the, the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? Hearing by the word of God. When she heard, hang on a second, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my flesh. I'm looking at this. I have no money. I feel bad. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a desperate situation here. But I'm hearing that this man called Jesus is around and he's, hear, he's healing people. That there's power there. Do you, think, do you think maybe if I get myself there, that healing power's for me too? Faith comes by hearing, Right? You know, that woman, she shouldn't have even been there. She was unclean. You know, the fact is, in, back in biblical times, women that were unclean, they were outside the camp. Okay? So if you've got your monthly, you're going to go in, outside the camp. Actually, that, now that doesn't sound too bad. But anyway, back then it was bad. Okay? Hey, just come and lay down on a bed outside the camp and have someone fan you for a week. Hallelujah. Okay? Mummy day out. I like that. But anyway. <laughs> we're all women, aren't we? Oh, no. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, guys. You, just, you, you came to the women's conference. I'm just saying. It's your fault. Right? But she, but she said, if I go there, she could have been stoned to death under, under Jewish law. Stoned to death. She risked her life because faith came by hearing. Faith will cause you to become dangerous. Dangerous to the plans of the enemy and effective in the world around you. It will cause you to be bold, to make moves that you wouldn't otherwise have made. Faith will cause you to step way outside of your comfort zone. Amen? It will cause you to follow after the things of God. It will draw you to the things of God, not away from the things of God. Right? I mean, people come to me sometimes, well, I'm not in church. Well, why aren't you in church? Well, God's just not leading me. Well, then you're just not listening. I'm sorry, right? But as believers, we are called to be part of a body. We need each other. We are called to be part of a body. We are called to be part of a church. God is not going to draw you away from himself, right? This woman wasn't even saved, for goodness sake, and she knew she needed to be around Jesus, amen? She needed to be around faith. She needed to be in that, in that place, even though it's going to cost her something. And she, so she heard, and she went there. And then the next thing is this, she, she heard, and she came. She positioned herself, and she said, if I might touch his garment, if I might touch his garment, you know, in, um, it, says this, it says it a bit differently in uh, Matthew's account, in 9 verse 20, it says, if I sh- may touch the hem of his garment, the very hem of his garment, then I'm going to be healed. Now, this is really significant. And you might think, well, why is it so significant? On the hem of somebody's prayer shawl in those times was a tassel. And the word hem is used to mean the tassel or the fringe or wings. Okay? It can be translated different ways. In Malachi, it says, the son of righteousness is risen with healing in his wings. Okay? It's talking about Jesus. He has healing in his wings. He has healing in the fringe, in the hem, in the tassel of his garment. Okay? That tassel itself is a symbol of power and authority. We can see this through Scripture. You remember the story of, of King David when he was hidden in the, in the cave where King Saul was hiding out. And he, and he cut off the corner of his garment. He cut off the tassel because he said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He knew that man was anointed, but he took his authority. That's why he cut off the tassel. When she touched the tassel of Jesus' garment, she put her faith in. She said, my healing is there. I'm going to receive it there. The minute I touch this man's a man of power and authority, and I'm going to tap into that power and that authority. My healing is there. So when she reached out and she grabbed it, she put her faith. That was her point at which she was ready to receive. That was the point at which her faith moved her to action. You see, when we really believe something, it's going to move us to action. There's going to be a following, a corresponding action to our faith. More than that, look at this a minute. 
This is fascinating to me. Now, I, I, I want to point a couple of things out before we take a break, and then we'll pick this up again in a bit, okay? We're going to start talking about the, um, how we, faith doesn't only have an action, dangerous faith, it has a confession, okay? But look at this. She said, she said, okay, out of her mouth, according to what she said, she received. She determined how she was going to receive. You see, God is not up in heaven deciding who gets healed and who doesn't. She determined how it was going to happen and what it was going to look like. She said, and then immediately it says, she was healed of her affliction. Now, I'm thinking, I've, I've read this passage many times, and I think, man, there's a, there's a discrepancy here. Because it says in verse 29, she was healed, but then when she took to Jesus in verse 34, it says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So when was she healed? You see that? Was she healed a few verses earlier when she touched the tassel? Or was she healed when Jesus says, be healed of your affliction? When is it? Well, there's a simple explanation for this. She was healed both times, okay? She was healed physically immediately the minute she touched that garment. That's what the word healed means. She was healed, right? Healed isn't healed. But when Jesus spoke to her, he actually uses a different word for healed. And we need to understand the difference because there's a point here that I'm going to make real quick, all right? Do I have grace for another minute? Okay, praise Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> Who will give me one more minute? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Okay. So verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. That word well is sozo. Okay. It means to deliver. Your faith has delivered you. It has made you well and it has restored you to health. Amen. So he's confirming what she already knew a few verses earlier. He's agreeing with her. Okay. Sozo. But look at what he says next. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You know, when we study this out, the word healed there is not the same word healed that he just used. It's hugeous, okay? It, it, it's, it means to be, um, to be made whole, not just healed, but to be whole. You see, there is a difference between being healed and being whole. There are many people that can be healed in their physical flesh, but they aren't whole in their minds. And if we aren't whole in our minds, we're going to struggle to live the abundant life. We need, we need wholeness. He says, this is how you get wholeness, okay? Go in peace. In the Amplified, it says, continue in peace and be permanently healed of your affliction. You know, we don't just want to receive. The abundant life isn't just about receiving from God one time. It's about walking in health. It's about walking in wealth. It's about changing generations to come. Generational prosperity. Generational abundance. Generational health. Divine healing. That's the difference between living life abundantly and living life more abundantly. More abundantly. Amen. And it comes by going into peace. This word in means ice. Okay, that's where it comes from. It means to continue in the direction of peace. It's a continuous action. Continue in the direction of peace and to give yourself wholly to it and agree with it. This is talking about relationship. Relationship. This, you know, even a blind beggar, even a woman that was bleeding on the street, even an unsaved person, anyone, any, any, any Joe from any place can receive healing from the Lord. He's not withholding, right? But if we want to live in life more abundantly, it only comes through relationship with Jesus. Amen? We have to pursue with everything we have. Go into it. Be continued. Pursue peace. Pursue it with everything we have. And when we do that, we'll start to see our faith, the faith that we have, the faith of Jesus on the inside of us, come alive on the inside. And it's going to start to manifest in a world overcoming faith on the outside. Amen? All right. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today. That's who